The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this special edition of Squawk Box. As the UK begins a significant easing of lockdown restrictions, we are live at Gatwick Airport and live at the centre of the hospitality industry in the uh, central London area. These are your headlines. So the ban on foreign holidays is lifted whilst pubs and restaurants reopen for indoor service. But the UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock is warning that the Indian COVID vaccine uh, variant could still derail progress. We do need to be really very vigilant to the spread of the disease. And you know, the, the metaphor the Prime Minister uses is the right one. We're in a race between the vaccination programme and the virus. A $150 billion mega merger. AT&T is reportedly in advanced tie-up talks with Discovery in a bid to create a streaming giant that would take on the likes of Netflix and Disney+. Passing the peak, China's economic rebound cools, with retail sales and industrial output growth slowing in April, while new home prices hit an eight-month high. We continue to act now as long as it takes to bring quiet and security to you, citizens of Israel. It will take time. It's a big day here in the UK and one we've been waiting on for many months as the UK reopens today much of the economy as the next step of the planned easing of COVID rules. Travellers will be allowed to visit nations on the so-called green list, including Portugal, Israel and Iceland, without having to quarantine when returning to Britain. Bars and restaurants will be able to serve customers indoors. Don't forget, we've just been constrained to outdoor dining at this point. While cinemas will also reopen their doors, limits on large gatherings like weddings and funerals will also be relaxed, Jeff. Well, Steve is out at Gatwick Airport, as we've seen, and Juliana is in central London. Uh, and I think we'll tap into Juliana's expertise on exactly what is happening with the vaccinations and the virus at this stage. But first to Steve. Steve, an important day here for the UK. It's one of those big steps in terms of the reopening and normalising all of our lives. Give us some colour. What's it like there at Gatwick? Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to be in an airport that has um, activity and the start of activity rather than the end of activity. I mean, I've been to Gatwick uh, here before when they hoped in the middle of last year uh, that there was going to be a resumption of travel and that was the end of lockdowns. Of course, that proved pretty short-lived. I've been at Heathrow when I saw the planes coming in and none were leaving again because that was it. They were parking them uh, on the tarmac and that was it. But now here I am and I've got holidaymakers around. I've I've spoken to one lady and I said, aren't you worried uh, that Matt Hancock has said you should 
should not be traveling because the first flight here, the flight that people behind me are getting on, is the flight to Malaga. Malaga is in Spain, of course, and that is on the Amber list. She said, look, I'm a resident, I'm going back home. And I thought that was very interesting. And yet, having said that, I've spoken to a bunch of golfers, a bunch of likely lads this morning, and were saying, look, we're all just going off to play a bit of golf. And so they, again, were going off to Spain. You can see behind me, I, in fact, I might just have moved, there was a surfboard uh, someone was carrying. They clearly weren't traveling for essential travel uh, that Matt Hancock was talking about as well. And actually, a lot of airline people have already criticized what the health secretary said yesterday about people should not travel to countries on amber or red lists as well, saying, look, you've changed the rules. You've made it not illegal from today as well. Why muddy the water and say people shouldn't be traveling when it is not illegal? Because just to remind people, we have a traffic light system here in the UK. Green is quarantine free travel, although you do need a passenger locator form when you come back in. You need to show and have a test two days before and get a negative test and a test uh, when you uh, return to the United Kingdom within 48 hours as well. So green quarantine free travel there. And that's only to a limited number of countries, including Portugal. And we've got a, a 9.30 Faro flight here later on today. In fact, what we'll do is we'll go out on the tarmac later on uh, and get by that plane as well. Um, but again, the first flight here is to Malaga. You've got another flight to Amsterdam. The Netherlands is also on the amber list as well. So whilst we only have a, a slow resumption activity, it's very clear straight away from what I can see is that people are saying if it's amber and I can travel within the law and I do my strict quarantine at home when I get back that is what I'm going to do so yeah it's very nice to see a bit of a buzz going on here as well because quite frankly this is an industry as we all know that has been in absolute crisis the amount of debt carried by the 50 major airlines out there has gone through the roof it's now standing at somewhere in the region of 320 billion US dollars as well Gatwick itself Gatwick can handle nearly 1,000 passenger big time passenger flights a day it's handling about 30 at the moment and a lot of that as our viewers will know will be basically carrying freight rather than passengers as well the losses last year for this group uh, were quite huge 465 million pounds passenger traffic down 78 percent as well uh, and they've been cutting jobs deferring investment uh, we're at the north terminal that passengers in this part of the world will know uh, is one of the terminals and obviously servicing EasyJet. Um, the south terminal uh, has been closed for a very long time as well now the big step here uh, is going to potentially be tempered by what Matt Hancock was saying in our headlines at the top. And they are very worried, of course, about the transmissibility and the spread of the so-called Indian variant as well, which has seen a significant amount of growth in infections in various parts of the United Kingdom as well. That said, there is no evidence as of yet that vaccinations in the United Kingdom will not prevent the disease. In fact, at the moment, the evidence suggests that actually vaccinations are working very effectively against most, if not all, variants of COVID-19. So there is a degree of hope. But again, the Prime Minister, the Health Secretary, a lot of people in the UK trying to rush out uh, the vaccinations and certainly finish off the over 50s with their second dose as well. A lot of people are getting an early call saying you were booked in for a few weeks time. Let's get you in straight away. Let's get you in next week as well. Um, and even to over 35s now, it's been expanded. So I think they're trying very aggressively, especially in the hotspots, places like Bolton, as well uh, to really roll out the vaccination program. That said, um, some people are saying we should not be doing this stage that we're doing today. And Juliana will be talking a lot more about hospitality, about pubs and restaurants uh, in a very short while as well. But there have been opposition voices saying we should just not be opening up at all uh, to international travel. And yet on the other side of the equation, those like Willie Walsh at IATA saying the government is failing to proportionately manage the risks as well. Uh, and indeed, there was a spokesperson, Tim Aldersdale, the CEO of Airlines UK, 
who in the last 24 hours is saying, what is Matt Hancock talking about? If it's not illegal, why are you telling people they shouldn't travel and should only do it essentially if they are doing it uh, properly within the rules as well? So it's an absolutely fascinating situation. Uh, but as all I can say is from Gatwick here, it's actually really nice uh, and actually you know, a good story to be talking about for a change rather than a negative one uh, about the reopening up here as well. And as I say, we've got several flights here today, uh, which seem to be you know, fairly full with going to amber uh, and indeed uh, to green countries as well. So uh, people are saying we can fly, we're allowed to, let's get on with our lives again. Back to you. Steve, uh, we're looking forward to hearing more throughout the morning. I gather you have to go through security, so we'll see you on the other side in just a bit. But uh, Jeff and I'll pick up the conversation and continue. And I think what's interesting for me when it comes to travelling in the UK, clearly there are some windows that are busier than others around half-term school holidays and and, and key uh, sort of holiday events, Christmas, Easter, Jeff. Uh, some of that's, of course, being skewed in the need to uh, half term coming up it's what one week i know a lot of parents are saying they probably can't go uh, to a destination they may have gone to because they won't be able to quarantine on the other end when they come back and still return to school on time so even though we have these green signals today for travel to some countries it's not a complete picture of certainty when it comes to tourism at this stage still a lot of other hurdles to clear no, I think that's that's just been a feature of this uh, virus all the way through, hasn't it, Karen? I guess we probably ought to uh, point out to the audience that Steve is going airside not to get on a flight, but to do an interview just in case people think he's heading off with those groups of golfers, maybe, or that the surfboard belongs to him. But just coming back to that, I mean, that's the challenge here. Look, there, there have been a number of missteps already as we've tried to figure out how to negotiate real life and this virus at the same time. And you remember, we all sat around the desk and we all got really excited about the Eat Out to Help Out program, uh, what, a wave or so ago of the virus. And of course, that in the end turned out to be a mistake and ultimately probably was partly responsible for the rise in um, virus cases that we saw. And then subsequently, um, the reason we had to be uh, locked down again, or at least there had to be further restrictions on people's liberty I think with the vaccine making the progress it is at the moment, a lot of people have got their fingers crossed that actually this time round the government may have got its balance of risks analysis right here. But quite frankly, given what's happening in other countries where they thought they were in control of the situation, i.e. Uh, Singapore, say, or China or Japan, we have seen re-emergence of pockets of the virus. And until we ultimately get to a place, I think, where we have confidence about the level of vaccination and about the fact that some communities up and down the UK are actually getting themselves vaccinated. That won't deal with the uh, Indian variant, uh, variant until we get there. And certainly at this stage, I think the government is right to be a little bit cautious about where people should be flying to at this stage, given how much grief, Karen, they're getting about this Indian variant. Jeff, you point out some very valid uh, arguments as we've been talking about aerosols, indoor environments. And you must remember a lot of us still haven't been fully vaccinated, even if uh, we've had one dose, there's still a second dose yet to come and for that to have effect. So we're looking forward to continuing that with Juliana a little bit later on as we talk about the impact on the hospitality trade as it reopens and also cinemas. And let's push on and take a look at the markets because one of the big features around the reopening theme has been 
the inflation that has come with it in the United States market last week, uh, clearly spooked by some very high ranges that it saw in the CPI. Uh, China producing its numbers today, too, across the economy. And what we've got when it comes to those U.S. markets, you can see it was a bounce back uh, over the, the Friday session. Uh, the markets, uh, areas, a quarter of the market that were hit last week, technology in particular, and also some of the fast-moving recovery trades just uh, peeling off. But you can see it was a 2.3% firmer trade for the tech-heavy Nasdaq as it closed out that trading week. Big stocks like Apple, Microsoft back in play. We saw the bounce there. But over the course of last week, with uh, so much choppiness, so let's just take a look at what we finished up. You can see it was only really slim percentage numbers uh, to the downside by the close of that trade because of the Friday session, bringing a little bit of uh, action back to the upside. So at one point, we were down about what, near on 4 or 5% on the NASDAQ. So there was a minimizing of that loss by the close of the session. Even the Dow, much more contained, was still trading off about 1.1% for the course of the week. And areas in particular, if you take a look at uh, the, the selling that took place, consumer discretionary, what we saw in the uh, technology side, but there was a little bit of movement in the oil trade. And let's just take a look at how oil has fared over the course of the morning. You can see 68.73 early on. It is a, a slight upward move. Future political tensions in the backdrop to 65.43 on WTI. Asian markets, as we see at uh, the start of the trading session, it's China we're watching closely today on the back of uh, a lot of data that's crossed Chinese retail sales in particular. 17.7% pop in April on a year ago, but that was short of forecasts. Also, uh, industrial output, that was solid, though, in the market. Just picking through these numbers today, and you can see it is a, a bounce for the Chinese market. Hong Kong in the green, but a little bit of red for the Japanese stock market, down 241 points or eight-tenths of a percent. The opening calls. As we talk about a reopening in the UK, uh, we have seen other markets that gain aggressively on the back of reopening themes, but so far just five to the upside at this stage. In fact, some of the momentum seems to have just come out of that UK market over last week as we saw the volatility in global equities. Uh, other markets are looking just a little bit firmer, as you can see, across Europe. The US futures, early indications today uh, for what lies ahead on Wall Street. NASDAQ is looking firmer, so perhaps we're not going to get more of that route in those uh, high-priced tech stocks. However, you can see a little bit of early softness in the Dow at this stage. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. A very interesting interview coming up later. Obviously, we're all very sensitive now to the inflation story and what the Fed's reaction function is in terms of uh, the inflation prints and what it intends to do with tapering. We have uh, an interview later on in the day with the Atlanta Fed president, Raphael Bostic. Uh, Colleagues in the United States uh, will speak uh, with the uh, Fed uh, president at 14.30 Central European time. And I'm just going to annoy the gallery team for a moment here and point out something I should have pointed out earlier. We've got a terrific write-up on the website about the places that Europeans want to travel to in Europe and elsewhere. So go and have a read of that story. It's on the website right now. And hopefully our friends uh, in the gallery, the director, Adam, and the team with, uh, with Rod and Jonathan, of course, will put up that strap now for us so that they can help you find the website if you need to go there, Karen. Uh, Jeff, uh, let's uh, circle to one of the big corporate stories today. AT&T is in advance talks to merge its Warner Media assets with Discovery, according to multiple reports. 
The $150 billion deal could be announced as early as today. The merged entity would become a listed company co-owned by shareholders from both companies. AT&T acquired its Warner Media assets back in 2018 with the intention of combining content and distribution. This deal would see the media giants looking to create a streaming platform to rival the likes of Netflix and Disney. And we'll talk a lot more about this during the show, but uh, for more on the potential tie-up, you can check out CNBC.com in the meantime. And we're going to have more on that uh, a little bit later on, Jeff. Uh, it is clearly one of the big corporate stories of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk some more about uh, Ryanair. The um, very interesting uh, position that Ryanair now finds itself in. Uh, we just saw a record annual loss reported uh, by the business. But Michael O'Leary will join us as we talk about the reopening. Of course, uh, they are an important airline that runs to a lot of these uh, destinations that are now beginning to find themselves on the UK's green list, namely Portugal. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. Let's take a look at the uh, Ryanair numbers as delivered at the top of the hour then. Ryanair reporting a record annual after-tax loss of 815 million euros. Uh, the company said uh, COVID-19 restrictions forced it to scrap over 80% of flights. The uh, revenue line, 1.64 billion euros. That's an 81% drop year on year. The airline repeating its forecast passenger numbers for the current fiscal year will be towards the lower end of uh, 80 million to 120 million passengers. And it expects to fly just five to six million passengers in the April, June quarter. We're very pleased to have with us Michael O'Leary, uh, the head of the airline. Michael, good morning. Nice to have you back with us. Obviously, a difficult set of numbers this morning, but um, encouraging signs that things are beginning to open up. Yeah, Jeff, uh, good morning. Uh, very difficult year. Uh, 80% of the traffic disappeared overnight due to the COVID restrictions. But I think we're looking forward with tremendous optimism. We've seen a very dramatic spring back in forward bookings uh, as recently as the last six weeks. In the first week of April, we took uh, just under half a million bookings. Six weeks later, last week, we took 1.5 million bookings. So we're seeing a very strong snapback of bookings. Travel beginning to start from uh, June, July, August. Uh, and I think if these trends continue, uh, we'd be looking reasonably optimistically towards a very strong second quarter of traffic recovery. The government here in the UK is is getting a lot of grief at the moment over the Indian variant. Um, alternatively, some suggest that it wasn't tough enough on travel restrictions early on in the crisis. Others suggesting that it's it's been poor at managing the vaccine implementation. Have you got a view, Michael, on the risks around the Indian vi vi variant for your business? 
I mean, you know, I think the government has done a stellar job in the UK on rolling out the vaccines by comparison with any other uh, world economy other than Israel. The government in the UK is way ahead on vaccines. I think we're a bit of a victim of the 24-hour news cycle here. Look, thus far, all the evidence shows that the vaccines are reasonably effective against all the, uh, the variants, the South African, the Brazilian, the Kent variant, and also the Indian variant. Uh, I have very little faith in the ability of travel restrictions to limit the spread of these variants. It hasn't been effective thus far in any uh, of the European countries. We have a high degree of movement of people, both for business and for work. Uh, but I think we should take some considerable comfort from the fact that all the available evidence to date shows that the vaccines are effective uh, against the Indian virus uh, or against the Indian variant and that anybody catching the Indian variant who has been vaccinated, which is most 60% of the UK adult population, uh, will not suffer a serious illness and certainly will not require hospitalizations. So we think the government is right to continue to, you know, gradually ease those restrictions. We look forward to Spain, Italy and Greece being added to the UK green list in the next couple of weeks. And I think that will accelerate uh, the recovery of bookings, uh, short-haul holidays with, from the UK to Europe, certainly, through June, July, August and September. Uh, Michael, in your commentary this morning, you've spoken about focusing first on volumes before pricing, but very important for the audience and for markets at this point has been the inflation story and some of the anomalies we're weathering as we see the pent-up demand story. Travel has clearly been one of the hot areas as we watch the US example. When do you think pricing will become an issue and what sort of price increases could we be setting up for, given the amount of capacity, a shrinkage that has happened over the course of COVID? Yeah, good question, Karen. I, mean, I think, again, through the summer peak, uh, pricing is going to be low. Uh, you know, we would typically at this point time of the year have about 50% of our seats already pre-sold for uh, July, August, September. At the moment, we have about 20% sold. So I think you're going to see record low airline prices uh, into the summer peak. Accommodation providers in Spain, Portugal and Greece are, you know, their forward bookies have collapsed. So I think this summer you're going to see huge value for British uh, families going abroad to Europe. Short haul trips to the beaches of Europe will see huge value. I think we should be careful, though, out into the winter of 21 and certainly into the summer of 22, because as Europe recovers from COVID, Karen, there's no doubt in my mind there'll be about 20 percent less capacity out there. And that's one of the key reasons why Ryanair is stepping up. We're taking delivery of 60 new game changer aircraft from Boeing this winter in advance of summer 2022. We've already announced the opening of eight new bases in capital cities like Zadar, Stockholm, Riga. Uh, so we're going to be adding capacity to try to keep a downward pressure on prices. But I suspect that into the winter 21 and summer 22, there's going to be significant upward pressure on, I think, certainly holiday accommodation and flights in Europe because of the capacity reductions due to COVID. Can we talk about the upward pressure, too, coming from oil prices? Uh, I noticed in the announcement today, there's a lot of detail packed in here around some of the hedges that you took out. Ineffectiveness on 200 million euros worth of fuel and currency hedges uh, for four year 21. You're saying you're probably hedged 50 to 70 percent of fuel in the future on an ongoing basis. Is that a nod to the fact that oil prices are going up and you're now concerned about how you hedge those positions? I don't think so, Karen. It's more of a nod to the fact that I think, you know, you know, we, we, with the wisdom of hindsight, we'll probably never again hedge 90, 95% of our fuel on a rolling 12-month basis. I mean, we found ourselves last March going into this COVID crisis, flights being cancelled, government restrictions, travel collapsing. 
but we'd forward bought 90% of our fuel for a 12-month period. So I think going forward, you know, and I hope we will never see another pandemic in my lifetime, we will learn from that, uh, learn from that experience. And I think the industry generally will hedge less, uh, but we'll hedge maybe to 50, 60, 70%, but I don't think we'll ever again hedge to 90%. Yeah, I would be more optimistic on oil prices. I think as we've seen the recent upward jump in oil prices, remember, you're looking at the OPEC plus countries who've significantly cut capacity. They're under fiscal pressure. I think you'll see them begin to lift output again. Uh, the US shale guys who are essentially the swing producers have mothballs, lots of rigs in the last two years. Again, you'll see that capacity come into the marketplace. So I would expect short-term inflation oil prices, but over the medium term, production to rise uh, and I think oil prices will settle at around, you know, somewhere between $40, $60 a barrel. Um, you've been very outspoken this morning, Michael, as usual, I think, but this time on Boeing and the the delivery of the MAX that you're still uh, waiting on at this point. I mean, given the recent electrical problems that they discovered, um, not a very good look for the regulator that had signed this aircraft again and clearly not a good look for Boeing. How do they clear this mess up? And uh, what about uh, your deliveries? Firstly, I mean, we've been very disappointed, I think, with the performance of the Boeing management in Seattle, you know, who are responsible for delivering these aircraft. They were signed off by both the FAA and EASA in early April. And eight weeks later, we still haven't got our first aircraft delivery. I would slightly disagree with you, Jeff, the analysis. I think the FAA and the regulators have been very strict with Boeing. You know, there was an electrical issue. Boeing were kind of poo-pooing it as nothing. And the FAA said, no, we want to see the documents. We want to see the, give us the data. And that's delayed those deliveries by another five or six weeks. You know, I think we'd like to see more at the, the, the Boeing management, certainly in Seattle, developing a better, more open relationship with the FAA and the ASA. I think the old days where Boeing just signed it off and expected the regulator to accept it as given are over. And Boeing need to respond to that. But we've been very disappointed. You know, we expected 14 of our new game changer aircraft would be delivered by the end of May. At this point in time, we can't say for certain whether we'll receive any of those aircraft by the end of May. We've only got two weeks to go. And I think Boeing, uh, certainly at the manufacturing, the management in Seattle need to get their act together. Uh, I think Dave Calhoun and the team uh, in Chicago are doing a stellar job uh, at turning the company around. Uh, Greg Smith, who's leaving and will be a big loss, has done terrific work on uh, Boeing's financing. But I think the management team in Seattle needs to shape up. Uh, they've uh, not handled, I think, the regulator well in recent weeks. And their communication with customers has been pretty poor as well. We've been left in the dark for weeks on end, not knowing when our first aircraft is coming, which is, uh, you know, when you're a large customer like uh, Ryanair, is not really acceptable. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.